why do they look for sex with a 70-year-old and not with a 30-year-old? So I ask them and I say, you know, what 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 are you interested in? And they they don't talk about feminism, but they say um older women are less complicated. Mm. Mm. Uncomplicated, experienced, and we know what and we know what we want. And I think that men generally are often um get put off by what they call the games that women play. They never know where they are, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sort of older women or mature women, they they're more direct about what they want and what they don't want. And and I think some some men find that relaxing and, and they you know they, they they feel good about that. Yeah. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Hope you are doing well on this day. I don't know, I just pointed at you, very accusatory. Uh, in an accusatory man, very accusatory. God, it started off on a good note already. Hey, I'm glad that you're here today joining me. And I have something to talk about, which is not the most positive thing because we need to be flooded by positivity apparently in the world today. But the other day, a friend and I were chatting and we were actually chatting and this idea of truth came up right there's multiple truths in the world today when you look at various narratives if you have the republican truth the conservative truth the bjp truth the whatever truth and there are multiple ways to sell that truth and i've spoken about this on the podcast i think just maybe even last week spoke about this idea of everyone has their own truth and what is objectively right and objectively wrong or objectively the 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 story to believe well Let's forget about that because the one thing which I think we can agree on, and this friend brought it up, we had met for a couple of beers, he's like, man, one thing I can totally uh, believe and that no one can debate is that death is going to come for all of us. And I'm like, great, man, you know, I could have at least ordered my first beer. And this is the problem sometimes when you get into this uh, group of conversations with people who are on this journey of spiritual awakening is there's... It's great. Let me first of all say that it's great. It's a great thing if you are like-minded, if you're in that same uh, space, because if you're just randomly like, man, I banged three chicks last night, which can you say that nowadays? Because apparently you can't. You'd be like, man, I consensually laid with three women who are dignified and believe in their willingness to express themselves sexually. Maybe. Which I was right, which I was wrong. I'm not here to judge. And, you know, if, if you're in that space going, man, I banged three chicks today. And the guy's like, you know, I think death is so final and it's coming for all very different uh, plane and you're not going to connect. But I'm, I'm up for these kind of conversations, but I need a few beers before we can get into it, right? So he's like, yeah, um, this thing which we can't argue, how much ever people would like to believe in the idea of immortality and longevity and, you know, different ways of cheating death. You can live in a coma, an induced coma, as long as you have money and the doctors are keeping you plugged in, I suppose. But then again, what is living, right? Let's not talk about that today. So the reason I brought about brought up this thing today on the episode is yes, it's true. Uh, but the problem for the longest time is that all of us, in fact, most of us are terrified of it, terrified of accepting the fact that we're going to die from a young age. We, we, we kind of tiptoe around the issue. We protect our kids from it. And eventually one day it bangs us in the face saying, oh my God, it's going to happen to me. And the, 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 the conversation around it, the messaging around it is so negative, right? That we don't want to talk about it. If someone goes, we, we, we kind of protect the person from it. We kind of hush the topic. And we, we have created this culture around death, which is very sort of, oh, my God, you know, you should do whatever it takes to avoid thinking about it and avoid facing it and live a life of fear. 
and distraction. And it doesn't have to be that way because, you know, I, I'm not, I hope I'm not anywhere close to it, but you know, there's nothing wrong with it. I feel we, we kind of are, are trying to create this bubble where everything has to be done. And then you just resign to the fact that you're going to die. Why should you resign to the fact? Because it might happen today. It might happen when you're 90. But if I feel, if you live making peace with it, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I've done it. But if we create this story around it and this idea around it from the generations going forward and maybe even from today where you know what it is going to happen your dog will die you will die animals die human beings have been dead for thousands and hundreds of millions of years and it's going to happen but use this opportunity this body you have um the mind and the abilities of that mind and body and the experiences that that mind and body and the senses along with it and the brain can give you this tool, this vessel that you have and use it to experience whatever you can. You can't do all of it again, but you can do things like my mind, my body enjoys certain things and yours enjoys other things, but use it, I think, in a way which really gives you the, the whole experience of life as a human being, because you might be a dog and you use that. And I love watching, as I've told you this before, I love watching my dog eat. Every meal is just so much joy for her. Every walk, she's excited. And I feel as a result of trying to avoid thinking about death, because my dog's not sitting going, oh, I have to make my will. Um, but does she know she's going to die? Maybe not. Maybe that's the awareness which we are blessed with or cursed with. But if you think about it in that way, where you can just enjoy and say, you know what, it's going to happen. I suppose you make, you make, more out of life than trying to distract yourself from the fact that you're going to die or avoid thinking about it, avoid facing it at some point. And if we can build a system, you know, of care towards the end where we celebrate the fact that someone's life has been lived so well and now they passed on, I think it just makes things a lot more dignified. And that leads me to why I speak about death, right? Because another thing that comes along with it is aging. We 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 kind of um, have the shelf life and expiry kind of uh, date beyond which we're no longer seen as valuable, functioning, contributing members of society, which I think is so unfair. And I know life is a bitch and it's unfair, but I think it's so, um, what's it, it's, it's very short sighted because the thing is that, that again, just like the idea of death, it gives you this hopelessness after which you can't see yourself growing or living or enjoying or taking from life what you really can because it's like when you're when you're 20 you can go around fuck around have a good time when you're 30 you got to settle down have a family when you're 40 you better have investments and savings so you don't have to worry about your future when you're 50 oh it's time to start worrying about that future when you're 60 oh fuck you've retired what do you do with your time my god are you gonna play golf are you gonna play carom do you have a hobby do you have community do you have friends it's giving very clear boxes to people when you don't have to, to certain age groups. And then you have ageism. Oh, well, I think, you know, as you age, various things happen, right? When you are, you would do things in your forties differently when you do things in your twenties and not because you can't like, yeah, you probably can't go and take up intense kickboxing at the age of 50, unless of course, if you have the physical uh, ability, but you still might not be as, uh, you might have as much endurance or muscle tone as someone in their twenties. Now these are physical things. And there are certain limitations which you got to respect. But if you can appreciate the fact that at a certain age, you're able to do certain things physically, but you're able to do things emotionally, mentally better than you could physically do in your 20s. Uh, but mentally, you didn't have the bandwidth or emotionally, you didn't have the bandwidth and mentally, you didn't have the wisdom or the knowledge. I feel there's a reward. There's a give and take at every point in your life. And you just have to appreciate that. And I think if the 
the, the community around you acknowledges that we all are going to grow old. And I think I told you the stat on last the last episode where I think by 2050, India is going to have a population of maybe 80% above the age of 60. So now I'm not talking about some unforeseeable future where maybe someone you know will be old, but you and I at some point, point in the near future will be in by 2050 i'm going to be 68 years old and i don't see myself stopping the podcast or stopping stand up or stopping doing what i'm doing because i've hit my expiry date now it's just time for me to wait and die and figure out how i can die in the least um least painful way but or the least prolonged way i think it's just figuring out what you want to do when you want to do and not looking at your 50s and your 60s as time to slow down and um, give up on what you want from life because I think you can still enjoy doing things. You obviously can't have 80 beers or 20 beers at the age of 80 and expect to have a good recovery the next day because at the age of 40, I wake up after every night, I'm like, fuck me, dude. Um, so yeah, it's not, and I think that's the thing, right? You look at the activities and don't box them in because everyone is given this role to play. But if you can look at life and you can say, you know what, I couldn't enjoy um, reading and doing things in my 20s, but I'm going to do it now in my 50s. And I'm going to do it in a way where it's engaging, it's fun, I'm getting, I can enjoy it with other people, or whatever it may be. It, it doesn't have to be. Needed. I'm just giving an example. It could be a sport, it could be something you productively enjoy, and you take away from it, and you, it adds to your life and gives you a new set of friends to hang out with, it gives you a new set of experiences to add to the past experience you've had. Why not? Why should we go in a linear way of doing A, B, C, D, whatever, the list of five, ten things, and then just suddenly say, now I'm going to wait and resign to the fact that I'm a dead man or a dead woman. But why can't it be a jumble of things? You know, you can be a serious person who engages in a lot of research in your 20s, but you love uh, discovering the art of music in your 70s and you pick up an instrument. Why not? Now, of course, acknowledge the physical limitations. You know what? And that's why I'm so glad. At the age of 40, I've already gone in wheelchairs. I've already taken assistance. I already get someone to help me. I'm like, you know what? Bring it on old age because I've already mastered the shit that you have put as a restriction of old age and I've done it in my youth. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. I don't know. I think it's just something which is really uh, undervalued, underappreciated. And I think it's an indignity to people who are older, who have so much more wisdom, who've lived a longer life. And we kind of shun them in the corner saying, you know what, these are old people. And yes, while many of them are annoying and stuck in their ways, I think if you can re-look at the way we tell people and tell younger people now that aging is a good thing and dying is not a bad thing, it's going to happen. I think we'll just have a different a set of stories around us, and that's my daughter yelling, I apologize, um, that we can go forward with. And these are the things that change society, I think, and change the way that we can evolve as human beings. And we can be, um, you know, kinder to people, kinder to each other. We can be more respectful and appreciative of each other and not just look at how to put the other one down and make yourself feel better. So, yeah, that's my um, few cents, two cents, ten cents. How many of a cents you want to take about the topic? But... I've got a lovely guest who talks about aging and talks about how to live life as you age more fulfillingly, more happily and more joyfully with community, with uh, friends and discovering activities that you can keep doing to, till you go from this world in, in a happy way. I've got Jenny Samanowitz and she is here today to talk uh, to you, to me, and we speak about 
a whole lot of things like aging, how to rediscover sex when you're older, when you've lost a partner, how to move on, how to find relationships, how to engage in these relationships, make them more meaningful, and how to take joy from activities that you can do, which you couldn't do or which you can't do anymore because you're older. But how do you respectfully give yourself the time, give yourself the pleasure of life and enjoy it? Jenny, of course, is a communications expert. She's an author. She's also a graduate from drama school, and she brings all of this together in various programs and seminars. She's got the communications cabaret. She puts up shows which use these tools that she's learned over the years to help people find more meaning in life, find more meaningful connection with other people. So Jenny and I had a lovely conversation today, and I'm sure you will enjoy it as well. Um, So yeah, thank you for joining me. And I'm sure you'll enjoy this conversation. And of course, do share it with someone you like. And if you're listening on YouTube, do you like and subscribe to the channel? I'm not going to say this again, or maybe I will. Who knows? But anyway, thank you. Enjoy the conversation. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon for you, evening for me on the podcast. Well, it's a pleasure. I was very happy to receive your mail and here I am. Very excited to chat to chat uh, with you today about a few things, but one thing uh, we yes. were talking about before starting just now, um, and this thought occurred to me, right? Because in the email you responded saying, "Hey, by the way, I've got a hearing impairment. I'm partially deaf, so please take that into consideration." And when that kind of email comes to me, I'm always like, you know what? I need to uh, acknowledge that because even I send out requests like that. And we this morning, in fact, you know, I I, I went up to uh, the the rooftop at home and there's a pool in the building we live in. And to cut a long story short, I was like, I'm losing my sight as the years go on. And maybe, you know, I I won't be able to see this pool. And that caught me to, to, to thinking about our senses because we're so reliant on the sense of sight and sound more than the other senses. And there's this, there's this fear that our entire association with the life around us is so tied into the senses, right? We, we think that once, if we lose our sight, if we lose the ability to hear when people speak, there's a sense of our entire identity, which is being taken away because the senses themselves are just tools of how we receive the world, but they do more in our brain, which associate memories, associate relationships, associate sights and sounds, and those create a lot more depth, or at least that's a perception. I, I want to ask you as a person who's spent so many years in the, the field of drama and the field of communications, the field of even business and taking all these three things and getting them together. What power do our senses um, bring to us? And more importantly, are we even doing justice to our senses in the 21st century? Well, that's a really, really interesting question. Um, actually, um as you say, we 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 perceive when we when we see somebody for the first time, we perceive only through our senses, and our, for example, our optical sense is 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 very very important. Our hearing is important. Smell is important. Smell. I don't know if you know this, but uh, they've discovered that people who are very uh, sexually attracted to each other, sort of like on the first meeting or so. It's often to do with an unconscious uh, smell that you don't you don't even you don't even consciously smell it, but it's it's there. 
or you know you've probably had the experience of going in to a room somewhere or going to a shop and there's a smell that reminds you of somebody or of your childhood or something like that it's very i think that's very 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 strong very mm. very strong and of course touch and you know what's interesting because we were talking about this uh, before what's interesting when you get older is that these senses become duller i mean mm. they do become duller you know your 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 eyesight okay you can correct it with laser or glasses or um for in my case it's my hearing in your case it's your your sight um and exactly what you said your senses make up your identity and i know that a lot of older people they 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 get a sense they get a sense of loss you know you you lose something you're continually losing something and um i mean i'm very lucky i'm, I'm 75 oh i'll be 75 next week actually oh lovely um, <laughs> yeah and i mean i really am very healthy and i haven't i mean i've slowed down but i haven't got anything apart from the hearing you know i can still go for long walks i can still ride my bicycle and still dance things like that but of course one of the things that also goes when you get older is your movement you know your 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 body movement um so and as you said the senses and so you do and the older you get or especially from the age of about i don't know 65 70 you often do feel as if you're losing your identity. You know, you're not the person who you used to be. No. Right. No, because the 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 thing that I observe, right, when I travel, uh, and recently I travel internationally, and I'm much more confident now about asking for assistance because earlier I would be ashamed of either using a cane or asking someone to guide me through the airport security, the check-in process, etc. And now it's become more of a, you know what, I'm going to do it because it's, it's less stress. I get, um, you know, to enjoy the trip for whatever it's worth. But I've noticed one thing when I'm, you know, holding the, the, the person who's helping me holding their arm and walking through the airport, the number Can of people. Say something about this? Mm-hmm. Can I say something about the shame? Mm-hmm. Um, true, the shame. I mean, I have to stop myself being ashamed when I can't hear, you know, mm-hmm. because, we are so um, conditioned to having to be perfect, you know, having to be the perfect person, having to have everything perfect. I mean, women suffer incredibly from this, probably more more than men. And 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 one of the reasons why, for example, older women don't want to have sex and all this sort of thing is because you have to have this perfect body, you mm. know, everything has to be perfect. And if anything missing or anything's in the wrong place or you got you know too much fat too much hair too many wrinkles or whatever you get ashamed i mean it's 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 incredible actually to think that you could be ashamed to ask for help but i i know this feeling i know this feeling and yeah yeah no, no no problem i actually was just going to uh, reiterate that point of when I now, am, you know, accepted the fact that I'm going to take help, I'm going to make that process of boarding the flight and then enjoying the the journey there, disembarking, getting help again. And the number of times I've observed the people who are so-called sighted, 
the number of times they almost walk into me because they're just staring at their phones. So that, you know, ties into this idea of what are we using the senses for anymore? Are we looking around? Are we just glued to this this medium that is showing us the world through the screen? And eventually this idea of what that shows, right? It shows you this content that it thinks you want or is popular or is trending. But do we anymore receive what we want or is there some kind of uh, code that is determining the information that we see or hear? And as a result, are we being fed a certain narrative and a certain sense of sights, a certain sense of sense of what a body should look like or what a perfect voice should sound like? So what direction are we heading in? Is it is it absolute access to information as the, as it's portrayed or is it more and more narrowing where we kind of are despite having all the senses uh we're not you know sometimes we're so glued into our uh shows on netflix or watching youtube videos that we don't even know what's going on around us so are we even aware of the senses we have anymore <laughs> that's an incredibly important uh topic i think because i notice you know if i if i go in a train um, somewhere um, flying I don't like <laughs> I'm scared of flying but if I, I like going on trains mm-hmm. and there's sort of two things I like the one is looking out of the window and just sort of seeing the world going by you know this is a sort of a, almost like a meditation but the other thing is also watching the people you know and trying to think about who they are what are their lives you know and nowadays, it's just so boring because everybody is on their phones. Everybody, you know. Yeah. Uh, oh, they might be asleep. The only alternative. And there's another thing I wanted to say, which, which reminds me, you know, uh, what you were talking. When I had my children, I used to love traveling with my children anywhere, you know, on an underground or, or on a train. And I would talk to them. This was the time when we were very close and there was nothing disturbing us, you know, and we could communicate with each other. And they would, you know, I'm talking about when they were two and a half, three, four, five, and they would sort of tell me things or they would point out things or I would point out things. And it was a very strong connection. And it was one of the times when we had the strong connection. And I have to say, it breaks my heart to see, and I see this almost every day, a mother with a three or four year old child and the mother is on the phone and the child is trying to get the mother's attention to point out something you know mm-hmm. because the child is curious about the world and as you say is the child's senses are <laughs> are working full speed uh, he or she's taking in everything and wants to communicate this with with the mother and the mother is just not interested and is just on the phone the whole time. And as I say, it breaks my heart. And I wonder what, you know, this comes back to what the question you were asking. I wonder what these adults are going to be like. You know, these adults, I mean, what is going to happen and what is already happening? I mean, I sometimes see six-year-olds with with, with cell phones, you know. And um the whole life, as you say, is is completely manipulated into this kind of technology, and 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 the senses are just not being used the way they 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 should be. Yeah, yeah. I find that very curious for you to make that observation. You know, because it's someone 
uh, coming from the generation that you experienced, which was through the 70s, 80s, 90s, the, the, yeah. the, the 2000s, and now uh, the 2010s and 20s now, because my dad is uh, 75 as well. And when I look at, um, you know, the relationship we've had from son to father over the years, I mean, I'm 40, my dad's 75. So it's a different phase now. And the fact that we're able to sit down, have a drink together and talk, whether it's about his round of golf or me trying to go to the driving range, trying to hit, trying to hit a golf ball that I can't see, there is this communication, right? Whether it's he, he asked me to order some books for him on Amazon and I do that. And the 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 I think in some way, you know, if, if you don't make that effort, it gets stuck in that phase in your life where you are still a kid and your dad is still that 35-year-old dad. And it's still that kind of narrative, which is he's talking down to you saying, I know what's good for you. Don't waste money, go get, you know, go get a job. But if you allow that to grow, uh, as you said, with this mother and child, which of course is a different age or different phase in that child's life. But there's this tendency, I feel, for us to get very trapped in the relationships we have with the people older than us and younger than us, even, you know, for, for me and my daughter now, who's 18, going to be 17 months soon. It's a very different Thing, right if you kind of approach it saying i'm going to teach you and tell you what i think is good as opposed to saying you know what my role is to give you the tools and the foundation that i think and that that, that that i can do for you but beyond that it's how you experience the world and come back to me when you have questions but a lot of it is blocked out because of these devices which are brilliant in themselves phones and computers they they really can enhance the human power but as but you know, contrary to what it's supposed to do, it's in fact inhibiting our way to communicate with each other and not even on a global scale with our millions of fans, but with people at home who you should grow with, who you should change with, who you should grow older with and kind of appreciate their their wisdom, their value in your life and the relationship you hold with them. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about my, particularly my younger son. Uh, my older son lives in Berlin. So, I mean, I see him quite often, but I haven't got this sort of continual contact with him. My younger son is 32. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's just used to just having this kind of relationship with me. You know, it's just, as you say, it kind of uh, developed from a situation where I was uh, I would say guiding him and sometimes having to discipline him, um, which he didn't take too kindly to, <laughs> um, to a situation where you know now we have a, uh, a, a but but the basis was always being able to communicate with each other. You know, and obviously the, our interests change. He was always very interested in what I did. He still is. I was obviously very interested in what he did. Um, it's kind of moved a little bit with both my sons um, where they see themselves as taking a bit more responsibility for me, you know, because I'm older. My oldest son drives me mad with that, actually. Uh, we go for a walk and he says, oh, careful, careful, you know, hold on to me. I say, you know, I do this walk every day. You don't have to tell me to. But, you know, it's sort of a gradual it's a gradual process where, as you say, the communication changes. Um, but if you don't have this basis at the beginning, then it's not going to develop. You know, it's it's it, it, because the way I experience it with my children and you, obviously, with your father, um, it's just a process that's developed 
throughout your lives. And I mean, it changes according to the, you know, what's happening and age, the age you're at, the age he's at or whatever. But if you don't have this initial, um, you know, really strong connection, face-to-face -face connection without technology coming in the way, then I think it's, it's difficult to start that when you're, when you're older, you know. You know the 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 main thing that I get upset about is the way we view aging, because there's this finite value that we attach to a person's contribution and to also their sense of of worth as a person based on how long they're productive or a productive member of society. You know whether they can contribute in the workforce, they're a earning member who can provide for the family. And once they cross, whether it's the age of retirement or they choose to sell their business and play golf or whatever it may be, there's this, it's like a waiting game after that, right? It's like, oh, what are you doing when you retire? Like, oh, you're reading books, you're enjoying hobbies, you're playing golf, you're going for a walk, you're doing whatever it may be. But when I, when I was reading about you and you're 75 and you're working and you're still coming up with ideas, new ways to come up with communication seminars or programs or models to help people, what, how is your view towards aging? Because uh, the, I, come, I come from a place of two points, right? One is this, the, the dulling of the senses, as you mentioned earlier, but also this, the way you view yourself, because it seems like there is a certain box that you have to fit into, which is I am older now, I can't do certain things, I shouldn't be seen doing certain things, I should be doing other things which are appropriate to my age. But I don't think that's the right way. Because there is so much a person who's older than me, a person in their 60s or 70s, can contribute not just to me, but also to my 18, 17 month old baby or to younger people, because with age comes wisdom, not always, but a lot of the time. And but we don't seem to respect that or appreciate that, but we seem to discount it as an aging population that needs to be taken care of. Yeah. I mean, you've hit my, I, <laughs> this is my hot topic, <laughs> obviously because of, <laughs> because of my age. Um, I mean, I have quite a good example in my family because my father, he lived to a hundred mm -hmm. and he lived healthily to a hundred. Nice. And, he worked until he was about 97. Uh, I mean, <laughs> no, his work wasn't, you know, he didn't go to work every day. What he did was he advised people on how to be healthy into old age. And mm -hmm. he wrote this course and he sold this course. So he had, first of all, you know, he had something to do. You know, mm -hmm. there was no way that he wasn't busy because there were always people writing to him and saying, you know, can you help me? And so and the second thing is he made a bit of money. And the third thing was, and that was the most important, he was appreciated, you know, mm -hmm. because people wrote back and said, oh, Mr. Samanowitz, thank you so much. Since I've been doing, you know, and following your advice, uh, my arthritis has got so much better. I'm not depressed anymore and so on. And I think that this is actually the crux of the matter. The crux of the matter is that we cannot live without appreciation. It doesn't matter who we get appreciation for, you know. Um, when we're working, hopefully we get it in our jobs but, or we get it from our children or we get it from our friends. We get it from, I mean, I <laughs> I get it when I go on the stage. I mean, that's why I go on the stage. 
<laughs> it's great. I mean, you know, you you know what it's like. You've been a stand-up comic. There's nothing more exhilarating than standing on the stage and everybody's, you know, clapping and laughing and and you're sort of spreading kind of joy, you know, and they really appreciating it. But I mean, this is something that, as you say, exactly happens with all older people, and it's a continual fight um, to be seen in a different way, you know. And you're absolutely right. I mean, when I talk about myself, I'm much, much more relaxed than I was when I was 25 or 30, you know. I'm much more able to understand other people's point of view. I mean, I was extremely dogmatic, you know. Mm. This was right, this was wrong, you know. Um, I'm much calmer. Um, I take more risks uh, emotionally, not 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 physically, of course, but emotionally, because I think, well, you know, what have I got to lose? You know, uh, what have I got to lose at the age of 75? You know, I'll try it, you know. Um, and people do come to me, and I think that um, people do go to older people. I'm part of a political group called Grannies Against the Right Wing in mm -hmm. Europe. Mm -hmm. It's a group of old, I don't know if you've read about it, almost getting rest in, in, in Germany. And we go on the streets and we do things. And so, and the young people love us. They love us, you know, because at last they've seen people of the age of 65 or 70 or 75 or even 80 or even 85, some of us, um, who are doing things that are not just sort of, you know, waiting to die, more or less. And I think that's really, really important to to view age. There's been a lot of research done recently that the way you you the way you view your own getting old has a big influence on your health and even on how long you live. You know, if you if you if you view it positively. So I think that's a really important a really important topic. Yeah. Yeah, because there's this important exercise that people do in marketing and branding right they're like what's your target audience they ask me like what what's your target audience for the podcast is it like 15 to 40 is it 25 to 55 and in my head you know i'm kind of pressured to say something but i'm i'm thinking if they can understand me that's my target audience if they're 13 and they make sense of what i'm saying or if they're 85 and they list, like listening that's my target audience right but clearly i i th there needs to be a much more uh focused way of looking at people right if you're um, unless it's your grandfather or grandmother talking to you or someone older in your family, there's a very um, um, unlikely opportunity for someone who's 16 or 17 talking about what's going on in their life with, uh, with, with maybe even social conflict or social issues or about, say, the wars going on with someone who's lived through, say, you know, the, the just the post Cold War, post World War Two, Cold War era, and seeing the entire East and West of Germany uniting. I mean, it's so different talking to a person about it than getting it from your history books. But many people don't have that opportunity. Yeah, I, I want to say two things about this. The one thing about the target audience is interesting because um, when I do my performances, my target audience. I mean. I sort of built it up from my business, the communication strain, everything. So they've sort of moved with, with me in a way. So my audience tends to be over, I would say, over 50. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, in fact, over 60. But 
My son, who's 32, always brings his friends. Mm -hmm. And they are really enthusiastic, you know. So when he brings their friends or some people come and they bring their their daughters or their sons, um, the young people... It's also my target audience, you know. It's just they they, they appreciate it as well. Um, mm. The other thing, what, sorry, what was your other thing that you were talking about? That, that was also very. Um, no, so oh yeah, about the generations. About the yeah, you know what? It's often happens that um, young people aren't really interested in their grandparents' lives. I mean, they like their grandparents. They even love their grandparents, but they're not that interested in their grandparents' lives. It often happens when their grandparents are very old or unfortunately have even passed on that suddenly it becomes really fascinating. I mean, I don't know anything or hardly anything about my grandmother's life. And I'm mm. really sad about this. You know, she was brought out. I only know she was brought out from Lithuania, when she was 17 to South Africa by a man who was twice as old as she was. I have no idea about how did she feel? How did she come to be brought up? Did somebody make an arranged marriage for her? Um, what happened when she was there? What was her husband like? I have no idea. Mm. That was my grandfather. No idea. And I think that that's something that really uh, could change. That even when people are young they they find out about about what happened to their grandparents yeah. there's this thing you notice if uh, it's happening a lot now is you know uh, it, it, i was listening to this talk recently where this lady talks about in about 25 years by 2050 a lot of the countries are going to have a population about the age of 60 in a majority percentage of the population is going to be older so i think it's essential to view the, the way we view aging is so important because if you see it as a decline, as opposed to a acknowledgement of what you can do, the acceptance of what you can't, and as you said, slowing down, maybe not slowing down, maybe, maybe you know, taking more risks in other ways, but obviously not, you know, jumping off a cliff and going, you know, free diving. I mean, you have to, whatever your body can take, you can, but it almost feels like uh, now with the cases of dementia and Alzheimer's and everyone's like, oh my God, mental decline. What have you experienced with yourself personally, but also people around you in your age group with the transition or is it a, a, an acknowledgement of being as focused on the mind um, about about the, the mental cognition, about your cognitive health, about other things? Or is there, in your opinion, too much value given just to your physical capabilities? You know, I think it's very diverse. I experience it as very, very diverse. First of all, I think that uh, there's an incredible age discrimination. Even this idea that people say, oh, there's going to be a tsunami of old people and, you know, by 2050, they're going to be so, as if it's a terrible thing. <laughs> but why should it be, yeah. you know? Why should it be such a terrible thing? I'm going to be uh, one and, of those people at 2050. <laughs> No, but I mean, really, um, there are also, there, there's been research done that actually illness and age don't have to go together, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. There are extremely many old people that are healthy, more yeah. or less. I mean, you know, might have a bit of high blood pressure, they might have to, 
you know, I don't know, whatever. Um, but, you know, and there are a lot of young people that are very unhealthy. It's not, there's not an absolute correlation. We're always fed this correlation, you know. Old means ill. Hmm? Mm. It doesn't happen. And among my, when you asked about my age group, it's incredibly diverse, you know. There are people, there are quite a lot of people like me who are still, maybe, not, I mean, some people are working still, Um either because I have to or because they want to, but they're working, not obviously full-time, and they're doing things and they're doing interesting things and so on. Um, and then there are people who are sort of, you know, um, they're the typical retired. They spend their lives traveling if they've got the money, you know, or playing golf or looking after their grandchildren. And, you know, that's that's their lives. Um, and then there are those um, who are just continue complaining about their illnesses. But right. I mean, young people who do that as well. But I mean, <laughs> there are obviously, there are obviously those people. But the thing that I've noticed, you know, what's very really interesting with the with this 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 granny group, you know, grannies against the right wing. I, I run a within the granny group. I run a theatre group mm. with twelve old ladies, and we do theatre. And of the 12, there are two that can't walk properly. You know, one is on crutches. And a couple of them have had cancer, heart trouble, and everything. But in the three years that they've been doing this theater, they've actually become healthier. Mm. They've become healthier. And they never, they never miss a rehearsal. They never miss a, a performance. And it's incredible because mm. they are doing something where they feel that it's meaningful, first of all, politically meaningful. They've got each other. There's a network. Then they're going onto the stage or on the street and people are applauding. So they've got all these ingredients, these social ingredients, um, which really are very important for health. I think that we absolutely underestimate that. You know. Yeah, no, it's beautiful to hear because you're given these expectations to feel a certain way, right? When you turn 30 from 20 or 20s, like, oh, my God, your 30s. When you turn 40, like, man, it's your midlife. Everything's downhill from here. I don't understand why, because personally, I feel better in my late 30s and now 40s than I did in my 20s. Because, yeah, when I look back, I'm like, maybe I could do, you know, a longer workout or maybe I had more energy or could recover from a hangover quicker. But frankly, now I'm like, you know what, do I really want to party that hard and hang out with people just just for the sake of impressing them or being seen in a in a nightclub? Or do I rather enjoy a few few beers with people who I can have a good conversation with? So the 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 the, the, yeah. sh the focus has shifted, the way I view those Absolutely. activities has shifted. So I wanted to ask you, when you as as you went through your 30s and 40s and 50s you obviously work and worked in different fields from drama to business to now blending these things into a model that you provide for people but how, how did you uh i wouldn't say accept but what were the the, the significant uh phases that you went through and the transitions uh, through those phases and maybe even the tools that you picked up along the way to kind of make you uh, make peace with where you are in life? Well, I think, you know, I've always been maybe too much, but I'm a, I'm a sort of pleasure person, you know. 
Mm. Um, I do what gives me pleasure. I've never seen any point in having a life where you sort of forcing yourself to do things. Yeah. So that was that was always my motivation. Um, and the second thing is, I'm kind of, I mean, I don't know, I wouldn't call myself an intellectual. I mean, I could, but that would be a little bit boasting, you know, because mm. I'm not a real intellectual. But I am very, very interested in a very, as you said at the beginning, curious, mm. very curious about different ideas. So it was actually the transitions always came from experiencing something which I thought, ah, I can use that either in my life or in my work. One very good example was that um, I did acting. Uh, I, I started acting when I was young, but then I became a teacher and I sort of forgot about the acting in a way. I mean, I didn't actually forget about it, but for a long time I didn't actually act. I, I was teaching. And then when I was about 42, 43, and I was doing this, uh, I... I wasn't teaching anymore, but I was training, you know, more doing adult education training. So I did an improvisation course mm -hmm. with a man called Keith Johnson, who had uh, developed a certain form of improvisation, so theater improvisation. And I did this course and it was like a whole new world opening mm -hmm. out. And I thought, my God, this is fantastic. I can use this in my work, you know. I can yeah. use these ideas of status and blocking or accepting, you know, all the concepts that he was teaching us. I thought I can, I can use this in my training. So I started using them in my trainings and then, and it was a lot to do with role play and everybody seemed to enjoy it. I seemed to enjoy it. And then I thought, well, you know, why shouldn't I do this on the stage? You know, why do I have to do this in a room with 10 people? I could do it on the stage with 100 people, you know. Yeah. Then I took this sort of onto the stage. So, you know, it's developed like that. And then I thought, okay, well, you know, just just doing this the whole evening, maybe it's a bit boring for the audience. Maybe we should have a bit of music. Mm. So then I started writing songs. And um, I got a singer, a very good singer, and she sang the songs. Um, so, you know, it always developed very uh, sort of organically. Um, and, of course, there were things that didn't work, you know. I, 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 there were also flops. There were also things wh which I did which I thought, oh, God, you know, that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's true, you know. Um, and my latest project, actually, um, is I've just written a book. And I mean, I've I've been writing all my life uh -huh. things. I've written articles. I've written shows. I've written all sorts of texts and things. But this is the first time. And and I wrote two books in German, sort of. Uh, but they were about communication. But now I've actually written a memoir, which mm -hmm. is a literary memoir. And this is the first. This is my debut. And I was thinking it's going to be published. Um, I think next year or the year after. It sometimes takes a bit of time. But I thought it's so it's so crazy to have your debut uh, novel or memoir at the age of it'll be seventy six or seventy seven. You know, it's so crazy. But then why is it, why should it be crazy? You could yeah. have your first novel at eighty or twelve. Yeah. yeah.
No, and that's such an important thing to recognize, right? Because we have this way of looking at even success by a certain age, right? If you haven't made it in your 30s or your 40s and you're seen as a failure, you're seen as someone who's given up on or someone who's given up on themselves and you don't, and, and then suddenly you hear of someone who had 15 failed startups and then they get in their 50s and they're like, wow, he's such an inspiration. But why are we looking at the possibility of life and life happening to you, you doing things in life in a certain time frame when from the day you're born, of course, there are some years of you know formative years where you learn and you kind of are nurtured by your parents. But once you get out in the world, why is it that by certain uh, age markers, you need to achieve certain things? And then after uh, after those age markers, it's time to slow down. It's time to wait for death. <laughs> because why can't it be? Why can't you like your grand, like your father working into his 90s, helping in different ways? I, I really, it upsets me when I think about the way we've been conditioned to look at what to do and when to do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it it's a lot of things, you know. I think it is energy. I mean, you definitely have the most energy probably um, when you're young and then you, you know, you have to do your school, university and learning things. So the time when you really have got the energy to, to, um, to really work hard and do things is probably between about 30 and 55 or something. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't got the energy that um, I haven't got the energy that I had when I was 40. I mean, if I work for a half a day, you know, I write or I do mails or I do something like this or whatever, you know, then I'm tired. Then I, then I haven't got the energy. Or if I do a one day seminar, I used to do a lot of two day seminars, mm -hmm. but I find that a two day seminar, if I do a two day seminar, I need two days afterwards <laughs> to recover, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even a one-day seminar, I can I feel it, you know. So it is an energy thing, but it's also just a just a social thing, you know. Um, and what I I find what's very uh, interesting and a bit upsetting is that, you know, it's become like this thing: you get married. And you have your children at the age of, I mean, it's later than it used to be. Yeah. I don't know what it's like in India, but in Europe, it's later. It's now usually between 30 and 35. Some people even wait till 36, 38 or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Then the, the story goes, have your next child quickly <laughs> because then they can play together. Yeah. So, uh, that, we hear that here as well. Yeah. So within a year or two or three years, you have a second child and you're working. What is your life about? And I know these people. They're the people that never or hardly ever come to one of my performances because they are so exhausted. And when they have an evening, then they're going to the school meeting or they have to work, you know, um, or they have to get a babysitter if they want to come together. Oh, yeah, they do come sometimes, but only one. Either the wife comes or the husband comes. Together they can't, you know, because they can't afford a babysitter all the time. And for about 20 years of your life, you're, until your children have grown up, um, you are just exhausted because you're just on this treadmill the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what... 
you know, and that is actually the time when you've got the most energy, where you could go out, be enjoying yourself, doing all this sort of thing. You, you know, you're spending all the money on your children, you know, you're buying a house and you have to worry about the mortgage or you need all these things. And then you're working, 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 working. And I find that completely ridiculous. I mean, I had, it wasn't planned. Neither of my children were planned, actually. They were both accidents. But I'm very <laughs> glad I've got them. But there's 10 years between them. Right, right. I had my first child when I was 31 and my second child when I was 41. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I mean, it was good because I could concentrate on one. Yeah. And then I could concentrate on the second. And in fact, um, by the time the second one was about three, his brother was about 13 and he used to look after him. So, oh, which you is know, great. I, yeah. I had quite, you know, so, I mean, it was actually quite, it was quite good to have, I mean, they, they had their friends. I mean, they didn't really need each other. I mean, they liked each other, but they didn't need each other. So, I mean, this is another sort of myth, you know, get married, have your children quickly, one after the other. You know? yeah. And it, it's really, as I say, it's 20 or 25 years of your life. I don't know how you experience it. Have, have, you, have you got that situation, married with children and so on? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously not exactly the same, but there's a lot of themes that are similar here because it's about which school and of course you have to be seen sending them to a certain school and which activities are they enrolled in. It's almost like, and and then you have these conversations around parenting, right? Are you hands-on? Are you a person who's nursing till what age? I just feel there's a lot of noise. Of course, you know, the the... the the pressure of being a certain kind of mother is increasing in India, right? Because also now, I don't know, there's a lot of cases where people, women aren't able to have children. So there's these other processes like IVF. And so it's, it's just a lot of change. But as you said, it's a lot of noise. uh, And a lot of women, I mean, you know, I talked to my wife about it, because she's a few years younger than me. And then she's like, you know, I feel like doing this because it's our first child. And I want to do it. But then again, there's a pressure of me uh, running my business. So if I'm not seen doing that, I feel bad. But if I go to the office, I don't feel good because I'm leaving her and I want to be with her. Exactly. At least... That's what women get. If they, right. And they're getting these double messages from society. Mm-hmm. If, if, you, if you're only looking after your child, then you're not modern and it's terrible. And you're not, mm-hmm. if you're doing your career, then you neglect your child. No, I know. I know. It's, 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 um, it's really this it's really this difficult difficult situation yeah and you know yeah, we yeah. we have help in india of course depending on you know if you can afford it or not but a lot more access to help than say in europe in you know you need to have a lot more money in europe or in america to afford full time help but here it's not as much but even then you have this thing, right? There's some people who just leave the child for the nanny to raise. And then you have some people who say, no, I can, I'm, I'm going to be completely hands-on. And then you, those are the parents you never see, right? Because un, they're very sort of tightly, um, you know, involved with raising their child. They're like, they know everything that child's doing. Then, and they have these development meetings and they want to know what their child does and where it's going to be. They have a five-year plan. And then the other extreme where they don't even know where their child is, the child's learning languages from the nanny and Next thing you know, the child's 15 and they're like, oh my God, you're a grown child who doesn't speak well, you know, for whatever thing it is. But it's, it's, I think this, this need to acknowledge what you need to do and what is comfortable for you, I think is slowly going away because it's more about being, doing what you're told or being uh, seen doing by others, which people are valuing more than what they want to do. 
yeah, but it's also a question, you know, um, I was speaking to a woman who, she's about 35, and she hasn't got any children. Mm -hmm. And I said, don't you want children? I mean, you don't have to have children. Nobody has to have children. She said, well, you know, none of my friends have got children. So, you know, I'm not very motivated to have a child. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you tend to kind of do quite a lot what your friends are doing or what the people uh, who you're working with are doing. I mean, you're very, very influenced. I mean... I'm not sure. If, <clears throat> I'm not sure if we always know what we want. I mean, it's easy to say, you know, do what feels right, but we don't always know what feels right because we're getting these messages all the time, um, and we're also wanting to please people. You know, yeah. your wife's wanting to please her, you, and she's wanting to please her child, and she's wanting to please her boss, and she's wanting to please her mother, and she's what you know, and you the same. So, yeah. you know, we're all running around trying to please everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you now, you know, as you mentioned about the 35-year-old lady who doesn't want to have children, there's a lot of people in this generation who are in their late teens, 20s, who don't want to settle in a relationship. They don't want to have one partner. They don't want to be married. They want to have multiple partners. They want to have, they want to have the freedom of having various relationships exploring that and they don't want to have kids they don't want to buy a house they want to just rent and they want to travel the world and um I, I i want to ask you because you speak about this in your talk because you know when i talk to someone now who's say single uh for whatever reason whether it's divorced or whether they haven't found someone they're like the only reason i want to have a partner is so i have a companion as i go into my you know old age and it's this companionship which everyone talks about. It sounds terrible. It sounds it's, it sounds like your wheelchair, <laughs> right? <laughs> it sounds so asexual. Yeah, it sounds like you know your crutches or your in my case my cane, my companion for life, you know, my guide dog. Uh, so, so what was that for you? Because you speak about this in a very nice way about your discovering sexuality and rediscovering sexuality as you get older or or, or even talking about it is, is seen as a thing that oh my god someone in their 60s or 70s don't do it or don't talk about it around me because it's ugh, it's gross right but w what was your um take on that because i, I think I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, the, the, this is my second hot topic you know yeah. this is what i'm sort of known for um <laughs> well for me it was I'll talk about how it was for me and then how it was for a friend of mine because that was very different but also very interesting. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't rediscover my sexuality. I never lost my sexuality. Brilliant. And, okay. <laughs> um, because I've always been a very sexual person and um, my partner and I, we were never... Physical faithfulness was not part of our deal. Let's okay. do that. You know... Um, we were definitely committed to each other. We were definitely the main relationship, but we didn't insist on physical faithfulness. Right. And there, there was one man, or there is one man, that even when I was with my partner, I had a, uh, a friendship with him where we also slept together. Mm -hmm. And still do for the last 22 years. And I mean, we're actually friends, but when we feel like it, we also have sex and that's fine. And that's very good. Right. Um, he's 14 years younger than I am, um, which also hasn't ever made much difference. Um, Did you say 14? I mean, 14. 14, not 14. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Just want to clarify um, that. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, my partner was 
quite ill the last three years or so. Um, we didn't have any sex the last probably 18 months, mm. you know. Um, and also, of course, my libido or my sex drive was completely at the bottom because if you're just looking after somebody the whole time, it's not a very, uh, it's not a very sexy thing to do, you know. Mm. So mm. then he died and... Um, of course, I was very sad. I mean, I still miss him. We had a, you know, very, very strong relationship. Sorry um, to hear that. Yeah, but then I sort of started, um, you know, as it says in my talk, I started dating and 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 have have had in the last two years, probably now, all sorts of experiences. You know, sometimes one of the things I really, really discovered. Uh, not discovered actually, but uh, realized is that there's a huge spectrum between just having a one night stand with somebody and having a really full committed relationship with somebody. You know, we always tend to think, okay, you're either in a relationship or you're just, you know, fucking around, if I yeah. may use that expression. That's but actually, there are all kinds of different, different ways, you know, um, you can have somebody who who's, uh, you know, who's a friend that you sleep with. You can have somebody where it's very strong sexually, but you only see this person once a month mm. for whatever reason. You can have somebody who you are with for a while, and then you realize actually this person is a bit boring, so you don't continue, or he doesn't continue. You know, there are yeah. all sorts of different things that you can have. And I don't think, you know, as long as both parties are agreeable, um it, it has to suit what suits the situation so i mean that's how i've experienced it but very interestingly uh, a friend of mine experienced it completely differently she lost her husband 25 years ago and she hadn't had any sex at all or any relationship at all for 20 years nothing and i used to sort of talk to her about what i was doing and things and she used to laugh and say, oh, that's very nice, it's great, but I'm not interested, you know. It, it, for me, it's over, you know, I'm not I'm not bothered. Anyway, eventually she became fascinated <laughs> and she said, okay, okay, I'll give it a try, you know, I'll give it a try. And she's just gone crazy, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, compared to her, I'm completely conservative, you know. <laughs> one man off the other i had to warn her i said you know please go and have a test you know you don't want to catch something she said yes so she went to have a test so she said i had a test everything's okay i said thank god for that you know and then she's off again you know, and... <laughs> oh this is so brilliant oh and it's so funny and it's so funny and so we talk to each other about this, and it's become such a game between the two of us that I then wrote a little play. I've written a little play called Dirty Old Women. Because nice. you always hear about old men, you know. So I've written a play for the two of us because she's an actress. She's a very, very good actress, mm -hmm. much better than I am. So I've written a play for the two of us to put on next year in Vienna, Dirty Old Women. But, oh, I mean, it's completely... You know, it's but I think that a lot of women. I've got other friends. Um, I've got two or three other women friends around my age, a little bit younger, who are really not interested. And the reason is mostly because 
at some point in their life, they've been very hurt right. and feel very rejected and they don't want to have anything more to do with men. Or yeah. they feel too unattractive because, you know, their bodies aren't, I mean, our bodies are not like a 30-year-old. That's, that's obvious. You know, that's such a... Um, mm, it's a curious thing, you know, because... Um, when 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 you look at the the present day youth and i mean that between 25 and 20 and 40 or like there's so much of this accusation right when it comes to women um and and of course i'm not saying this with a negative um approach but you know there's a lot of male bashing there's a lot of the feminist dialogue or the fem feminist rhetoric and many, not many, but there are many sensible people, but there are the few who demonize men and young uh, people in universities and boys from school to university to, to the world out at large, they come with this fear of, I shouldn't go out of line, or they overcompensate for the mistakes that men in the past did. And there's this sense of being, um, I wouldn't say victims, but they basically are really... Um, not comfortable in their own skin as as men and they're not able to find partners and there's this sense of being feeling disenfranchised um so do you think these uh men now in their 30s and 40s are looking to women who are older because it's it's easy to be understood it's easy not to be accused and find more acceptance in in, in that age group and and not look to women um of their of their own or same age or not just men, is it also the case with women in th their 30s and 40s looking to older men? Sorry, that men in their 30s and 40s are looking to older women? Is that uh, what you is, said? I mean, is, is, that, is that something you've observed where there is, they, they, they feel more um, comfortable and they don't feel as threatened? I mean, I have never quite understood what young men see in me or other older women, but mm. they're but a lot of them do. It's not, I don't think that it's the norm. I think the norm is uh, what it always was, that men look for women of their own age or even younger. And there are enough men in their 60s who are, you know, I see this on the dating side, you know, there's a man of, of 60 and he's looking for a woman between 25 and 40, you know, mm. and that's they consider normal. Uh, there's there are a lot of really older and even old men who are looking and even find women who are 20 or 30 years younger than they are. And I think the norm is not that young men are looking for older women. But okay. having said that, there are those. And I asked them, um, you know, I, I'm not interested. Um, my friend is. She she goes up with forty year olds. Thirty five I think thirty two was her youngest. I said, My God, you know, you've got a son of forty. She said, Yeah, I know. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um but you know, I, I I've asked these men and she as well, um, these men of thirty five or forty or forty five, you know, want to date me. Okay. Maybe they're just looking for sex, but it doesn't matter. Why do they look for sex with a 70-year-old and not with a 30-year-old? So I asked them, and I say, you know, what, what, what are you interested in? 
and they they don't talk about feminism, but they say um, older women are less complicated, mm. you know, mm. uncomplicated, experienced, and we know what and we know what we want. And I think that men generally are often uh, what I hear because I talk a lot, obviously, to men. I talk to women a lot as well, but I talk to men as well. And a lot of men um, get put off by what they call the games that women play. They never know where they are, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They never know where they are. And um, sort of older women or mature women, they, they're more direct about what they want and what they don't want. And, and I think some some men... Not so many, but some men find that relaxing, and and they, you know, they 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 feel good about that. Yeah, interesting because, especially now with with more and more of this, you know, everything being recorded and put up online for men and women, this is not just one sided. I think there's this sense of you know feeling safe, feeling comfortable, and and I think people will be you know moving in towards that group that gives them that, and if it's of a different age. I think that's great that people are seeking some sense of comfort, some sense of romance, not just in the group which they are they call their contemporaries, but whether it's a few years younger, a few years older, I think that's I think that's great. Yeah, I also think so. Yeah. Lovely. Jenny, it's been absolutely a delight speaking with you today. And thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights it's on great. it's been great absolutely loved it because I think it's yeah. so important to, you know, recognize what you've done and, you know, continue to do with work and, and live life and, and recognize what you enjoy and, you know, make peace with the things you can't do. And I think that's a great message to everyone who's listening. So I really uh, appreciate that. And thank you so much again. Thank you. It's been really great meeting you as well. If I come to India, I'll contact you. Brilliant. I look forward to that. And good luck with the new play coming up and to your friend <laughs> and you for the, the Dirty Old Women play. Good luck with thank that. You. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'll keep in touch. Take care. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.